0: Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast, and here's
1: your host... Hey America, did you miss my hot breath in your ear? Michael Preston.
0: I will make a sweeping generalization and just assume that you did, in fact, miss our hot breath in your ear. Breath. Breath. Rat. Rat. that's what I'm saying there. Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman Podcast. They cover the Houston Cougars. They'll be coming up to talk about the C-double-O-G-S Cougs in a little bit as we preview the Houston Cougars and the Friday Night Tilt in Southeastern Texas. Thank you for bearing with us while we took last week off to enjoy some much-needed vacation time in Central Oregon. But I am in to Sun River in like... Really, you know, like, Sun River Black Bee Ranch in, like, 15 or 16 years. You ever just want to go somewhere and just, like, turn into, like, a relaxed pile of goop? Like, that's what I basically was by Wednesday night. I was, like, tired for no reason at 4.30. And I made coffee that morning, got plenty of sleep. I looked at my wife and I said, why am I so tired? She you said, you're relaxed. We also went to Crux Fermentation Project. Really delicious beer. Highly recommend. So, Sun River Crux. Kick some free stuff my way. Um... I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of process and get through emotions and feelings from last Saturday. Not that there really were too many, given that the result of that game was not in doubt. And Jeff and Craig did a great job talking about it again this week on Monday's edition of Podcast Versus Everyone. Jeff wrote about it a little bit in his column on Monday of, you know, why can't you just sit back and enjoy this? And I... Now a number of days removed from it, I can come around to that. But I, I think the biggest thing for me is that the reason you you, you kind of find yourself having a difficult time enjoying it, and it, this is a new place to be, that yes, even though it's an FCS team, you kind of really just expected a really humongous blowout. I mean, a chance to get to 70 points in a defense that should not have looked overmatched, And it's true that Northern Colorado could, you know, they could move the ball from time to time in that game and it wouldn't have been too big of a surprise. But I think what, you know, it, that kind of set the tone early for me and I think part of the reason why I left the game with kind of a, not sour taste in my mouth, but a bit of a bitter taste is that it was 24-10 at halftime. It was 24-10 at halftime and it should have been more than that that what you wanted to see was this washington state team just come out from the outset and dominate northern colorado now looking at the stat sheet that's not really a lie right to say that they did because they really just gashed them all over the field all day they averaged like seven and a half yards per attempt that's including anthony gordon's run in there which again uh, well, no, that doesn't have anything to do with sack yards. So that actually does count. Anthony Gordon averaged over 10 yards per attempt again. As Jeff pointed out, Like two of the top yards per play averages in a game in Mike Leach's tenure were this weekend. Two, two of the top like four were this weekend in New Mexico State. So why do I leave that game feeling so unsatisfied to an extent? I mean, Milo Hall, although he looked like a world beater at times... Still average under four yards a touch. I I think a lot of it had to do with that first half. And you look at the stats from that first half. First quarter only. Northern Colorado had 79 rushing yards. 50 passing yards. They were only outgained by Washington State by 28 yards in that first half. Or in that first quarter rather. Excuse me. And then when you get to the end of that first half, again... The difference between the teams was only two touchdowns. And at the time, and the, during that second quarter, the tackling looked really suspect. I mean, really, really suspect at times in that quarter. And I, I think that was the big bugaboo, right? Was that you had multiple times in that first half where... Washington State calls, or Mike Leach calls, defensive timeouts. He calls it a timeout because his isn't performing, and we all know how that usually goes, right? When he finally did call a timeout on Northern Colorado's final drive at the first quarter, excuse me, Milo Hall rushed for 7 yards, 3 yards, 9 yards, 12 yards, a completed pass of 10 yards, then the timeout, and then a different running back comes in, Julian Eisen, and fumbles the football when, frankly, Jahad Woods does get lucky to get an arm on that football and keep him from breaking a bigger run. And so that was, you know, you are kind of left with this. I mean, again, I it, it's not like, I, it shouldn't be unsatisfaction. And I can't explain why I feel this way because nine tackles for a loss in that game for Washington State. Four forced fumbles... Four fumble recoveries. They they performed pretty much exactly how you would have expected them to. You expected them to blow the door straight off Northern Colorado. And in the second half, they did. They outscored them 35-7. to seven. So I think what has left, again, kind of that bad taste, at least in my mouth, this is how it is for me, is that it just wasn't done right off the bat. It took the Cougs. A little while to get to really get going in that game, and I mean they the second half they scored 28 unanswered points to open that half. Like it 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 just it wasn't even close after that, and I I don't think even for me when Northern Colorado tied it at seven in the first quarter, I that game was not in doubt for me. They were going to win the football game, and they were going to win it handily. So I I wasn't exactly worried about that, but I think I and again I'm I'm so excellent at expressing things sometimes, but I, I think for me it's just because that first quarter and, and part of that second quarter was so deeply like they should really be stepping on their throats here. I mean, they should really be winning by a lot more than this. That's how I viewed it. And to their credit, after Northern Colorado scored. That field kicked that field goal near the end of the first half. They outscored him 31 to 7 after that. And then tacked on another touchdown at the end by Deion McIntosh for good measure. So, you know, you know, like I, I think again, it, it all comes back to that point which which we repeated a bit ad nauseum at this point is the defense looked gashed at times against a very inferior opponent. That was worrying. Is it a matter of them looking past this football team to the bigger challenge that awaits them this coming Friday in Houston? I, I, again, hard to quantify those things, and you know we don't really like things that are hard to quantify on this show, but maybe? I mean, yeah, there's a possibility of that. Northern Colorado has voted to finish last in the Big Sky. You probably win that game just by out-athleting them. And Lord knows, again, Anthony Gordon and his wide receivers have never... There's never been a two-game stretch to start a season where these receivers have looked better under Mike Leach, including their quarterback. But I think that's kind of why I was left with a little disappointment on Saturday night, which is a weird thing to say after your football team wins by six touchdowns. That you're a little disappointed in it. But maybe it's because my expectations were blown so far out of proportion for this football game that it it really was my expectations that needed reigning back in. Because yes, Washington State, they, they blew the doors off the Bears. They did exactly what they should have done, but maybe they just didn't do it in as aesthetically pleasing a way as I might have liked them to do it. So you're left with, like Jeff talked about, kind of your own expectations that weren't met. And it is interfering with my ability to have some fun with that game. I do still think there's some validity to saying that, yeah, that first quarter and part of that second quarter and didn't really go how you wanted it to. And that first half, yeah, you're up by 14. But again, I wanted them to start quicker. I wanted them to really put their foot down. That Anthony Gordon pick, that was a really bad interception. Did not see the middle linebacker at all, but I mean, really, other than that, there wasn't huge mistakes in that first quarter. But they got gashed for a lot of rushing yards on the ground in that half, and so I, th- I think it was an issue with you know you kind of start paying less attention in the second half because again the game gets in you know w- put well in hand at that point, and so is it a matter of when we were paying attention, truly paying attention to this game? That our expectations weren't met. I think that might be the case. I'm I'm trying to take a brighter view of it some, you know, three days as we record this on from that game. But I, I think that's why you're left feeling that way. It's still a very dominant win. It's exactly what you expected. But I I wanted 70 to like 7. I wanted like 77 to 6 or something like that. And we didn't get it. So maybe that's what it is—our own outsized expectations. But clearly, Mike Leach wasn't happy with his defense in that first half, calling three defensive timeouts. The bigger test obviously comes this Friday with the Houston Cougars. They have a brand new head coach and Dana Holgerson. They have a new offense, and Derek King is this otherworldly quarterback—or at least he was under Major Major Applewhite. Threw 36 touchdowns and just six picks last year. He's a dual-threat runner you're obviously a lot more worried about this football game. But as Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast will explain here in a few minutes, there are reasons that Houston really needs to be worried in this. They had a pretty bad off or defense last year. I don't want to say offense because they had a very good offense last year. They had a pretty bad defense last year. And there's not a lot of evidence it's any better this year. And that the biggest hole they have... On that side of the football is the place that Washington State can really exploit. Their secondary is really not very good. Oklahoma ran all over them in their opener. And frankly, their game against Prairie View A&M left quite a bit to be desired. Again, another, another time where you don't quite blow the doors off a team like you would expect you would. If you're Houston, they only won that game 37 17. So are they also, you know, struggling with really poor defense? I mean, Jalen Hurts, I mean, Jalen Hurts is Jalen Hurts. But the man had over 500 yards of offense in that game. He averaged, I can't even do 23 times, like 12. No, it's way more than that. He averaged like 13 yards per attempt in that game. I don't care who you are. It is hard to do that. It is really hard to do that. So, you're going into Houston, luckily in an air-conditioned environment, not outside on Friday night. And you're facing a team who has some of the same problems and maybe to a greater extent than you do on the defensive side of the football. They're looking for leaders. Their secondary is struggling. They don't really have a guy they can lean on on that side of the football. Offensively, they're still figuring things out. They're still trying to get Dana Holgerson's version of the air raid figured out. Meanwhile, Anthony Gordon and his receivers have Mike Leach's version pretty darn well figured out. There's not really anything in there that they don't know. So if it becomes a game where you're looking at a shootout, you probably favor Washington State in that case, right? Because you figure that their defense will be able to make at least a stop or two more than Houston will. And in a game where there are going to be a lot of possessions in this game. Because in theory, the offenses offenses have such an upper hand on the defenses that they should be scoring more quickly. So really the difference becomes, I I mean, it's cliche to say, but a stop or two more. So do you believe that the Washington State defense is a stop or two better than the Houston Cougars defense? And I think the answer to that is yes. Although they lost so much experience, and you'd like to see more from the defensive line so far this season. That was a a thing we weren't too worried about coming into these first two games of the season, but would love to see a little bit more pressure from them. Do you think they are capable of doing that? Yes, probably. And then the question becomes, do you think, because of the, and and again, is this offense capable, more capable than Houston's right now? And again, I think the answer is yes. And I know these are very basic and fundamental questions you have to answer about every matchup on any weekend in college football or NFL football or even high school football. But this is Washington State's first big test of the year. And for Houston, it's the most similar team they're going to play in their non-conference schedule. So for Washington State, this is the litmus test going into Pac-12 play. And it is an important game for bowl eligibility. If you think... That backloaded schedule with the Pac 12 North is ridiculously tough. Cal's no slouch. Stanford is Stanford. Oregon looks great. UW is just, we're not going to win that game. And Oregon State still struggling. Okay, but that's still, that's four games, bare minimum in the last month and a half of the season that you're going to have to battle and fight and scrape and claw for. This is a pretty important game for bowl eligibility, bowl seating. You kind of really want this one. You want to close out the non-conference season on a good note. So I think the big question, go back to it again. Is your defense a stop or two better over a game where there are going to be a lot more possessions than usual? Yeah, probably. And if any sports book puts out an over-under, just over. Just over. Over. Sam Rass of the Scott and Holman Podcast, coming up next on the Gook Center Hour. Back here on the coog Center Hour, our thanks to whatever sponsors you just listened to. Please buy their stuff. Uh, we are now joined by Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast. Scott and Holman—that's a—is that a corner in Houston that's like near campus, Sam? Because I—I I know the the name. It—it—it's you know, you guys just have your podcast, but it's not your name, like your actual physical name. It's—it's—it's it it's, it it's correct.
1: And, okay. It, and and uh, to listeners, uh, I didn't tell. I didn't. Uh beforehand and give you that you were the very first uh, person that's had one or both of us on me or my co-host as a guest who got that information beforehand yes really John Ullman,
0: yes you're, you're usually people you're, usually
1: people either assume it's our last names or they just don't know and they're polite enough to just say hey so where did y'all get that name? you were the very first person to get that name and not be a Houston fan and deduce that, oh yeah, Scott Holman, that's the intersection at y'all's school, right? Well, so, I mean, it's it it's
0: your you. your Facebook page uh, logo is street signs, and uh, that's what a state for school sure. education gets for you. Um, so, <laughs> uh, one and one after two games here uh, against the Oklahoma Sooners, then Prairie View A&M. I can't even remember Prairie View A&M's uh, mascot, but I, I think it would be pretty fair to say, Sam, that this is exactly where you guys expected to be after two games.
1: The record-wise, yes. From the, I think, 30,000-foot level, yes. one and one I think, is where most fans expected to be. I think people were hoping for a repeat of the upset over Oklahoma from 2016, but Oklahoma and Houston are both in drastically different places in 2016. Houston, due due to the great talent evaluation of two coaches, geez, now, three coaches ago, Tony Levine, Houston had a pretty stock defense in 2016. Not the case this year. Pretty pretty much a rebuild on defense. Not nearly the talent and, and it showed against Oklahoma and it was a game where the Cougars showed some promising stuff at times, but got thoroughly outplayed by a top five team. I will say I think this past week's game was Prairie View A and M. I think didn't have the style points a lot of Cougar fans were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Yes, Houston was up thirty four to three after about twenty uh, something minutes of game action, but in the last 36 minutes, only were able to manage three points against an FCS opponent that I think the Cougar fan base was pretty ravenous to see drop 60, 70 points on. And to some degree, that might have been uh, unrealistic. Prairie View is a good, at least, FCS team this year. And Houston, I think, ran a much more vanilla offensive game plan than they'll run out in any other game. But Mm -hmm. I think some Cougar fans are starting to realize that there might be a learning curve here, that going from the previous offense and previous coach we had to the air raid to what Dana wants to do isn't going to be just a seamless plug and play. And I think there's some concern about it. I always right. say that to some degree, mm. the uh, expectations of the fan base were unrealistic and wildly reset by the Peach Bowl from several years ago. And I think uh, and anytime the team kind of looks like they're struggling in any facet, there's, you know, the wailing and gnashing of teeth. So yeah, I think, Looking at it soberly, 1-1 one one is where the team should expect to be. There's reasons why uh, last week's whatever Prairie View wasn't uh, the kind of sexy game a lot of Cougar fans uh, here were expecting. But yeah, I, I would say we're about where we could realistically expect to be two weeks into the Dana Holgerson era.
0: Right. Well, t- I want to touch on uh, kind of that learning curve here after this uh, next question because obviously it is Dana Holgerson. At Houston, and I I will say that I was amongst the many who did not see that coming. I think we kind of saw Major Applewhite's departure coming after uh, that bowl game, which I won't mention for your own psyche's uh, sake. But uh, that was a surprise, at least to me, and I think a lot of folks uh, who follow college football kind of walked me, you know, like, what were the emotions? uh, Because it didn't take too long to hire Dana Holgerson, if I remember right. And do you have enough Red Bull on campus for him?
1: The second question, yes. The okay, school, good. The school, I think when you pay, uh, pay a guy a $20 million contract, he uh, can handle all the details on the Red Bull. So I'll, I'll give my alma mater credit on that one. I think I think they've got that down. I <laughs> feel Dana Holgerson's thing, it, it did develop very quickly, in, in a manner of, because our uh, very unfortunate bowl game was right before Christmas, and then you really start hearing serious whispers of, oh, this Holgerson thing to Houston could happen sometime just before New Year's. I would say maybe around the 28th or 29th, and it was a very universally loved hire. Cougar uh, fans who were around 10 or 11 years ago will remember Dana Holderson, the offensive coordinator here, uh, when Case Keenan was here, in the two years he was here, Houston threw for a bazillion yards. The offense was really fun, among the best ever uh, in, in a school that has lots of offensive history and lots of competition for that, you know, among the best offense ever title and it was one of those things that we were talk about kind of in the hypothetical of wow wouldn't it be cool if Dana would come back here because he was very popular he was mm-hmm. someone who even before this move happened it was always kind of known that he liked Houston he still had I would say probably a half dozen or so close friends here and there was some overlap between his close friends and high level Houston boosters and I think Ross Dellinger um of, I think, of various publications reported that there was already mutual interest kind of around mid-December and the awful bowl game, Major mm-hmm. white stat. Major Applewhite's, one, inability to hire a coordinator worth a damn in most cases, and two, inability to keep the one coordinator hired that he did make that was successful for more than a year kind of sealed the deal there. And it went from idle chatter between Danis camp and U of H about possibility to... Mm-hmm hey, would you like to come back to Houston? And I think to some degree it, it would be it would be awesome for me as a Cougar fan to say it was 100% um, that he wanted to be in Houston, rose-colored glasses and all that stuff. And I do think that's a big part of the equation, that he wanted to be here, that he kind of realized that you can only do so much at West Virginia in the Big 12. I really do think it's remarkable that he did what he did because he's going up against a bunch of Texas schools in Oklahoma. And how are you going to keep pace with – that when you're West Virginia. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. just dealing with the outside's expectations there. I think I think it kinda of worn on him. He saw a roster reset coming, to be sure, this year and yeah. just kinda of left while the getting was good. So while I think a lot of it was him wanting to be Houston, liking living in Houston, liking not being in the fishbowl of being a coach in Morgantown, of the pro team of that state, it just kinda of, it worked for all parties. It worked for West Virginia to agree. It worked for Dana. It certainly
0: worked for Houston football to get a coach, kind of, of his name. Yeah. We'll talk... Uh, now I want to talk about kind of that, like you mentioned earlier, kind of that adjustment to Dana Holgerson's version of the air raid, as, you know, I'm sure everybody knows we have the progenitor of it, and he is so very oh, yeah. stubborn at what he does, and it will not change, gosh darn it, uh, because I'm sure he cusses a little bit more than that. But... Um, it's, it's valuable, obviously, to have Derek King back. The guy is just otherworldly, I think. He had, you know, 36 touchdowns last year, six interceptions. He just doesn't turn the ball over. He can run the ball. Are there growing pains for him in this offense? But it must be valuable and at least, you know, some level of comfort there to have a guy with that kind of experience and talent at quarterback in the first year you are breaking in a new offense in Houston. Yeah. And one
1: thing I think Dana has said is that. He's upset that right now Derek King is a senior, not a redshirt junior. He's upset that the previous two staffs didn't use his redshirt year. Because I think he, in a perfect world, wanted a year for Eric to have some growing pains this offense. As good as De'Eric is, it's radically different right. uh, going from the offense we ran last year to this. Even even a very good quarterback like him is going to have growing pains. It's I compare it to a a friend of mine who uh, knows a lot more about math and all that stuff, which is admittedly a low bar to clear, that the uh, Kendall Bryles beer and shoot is like uh, college algebra and what Dana wants to run is like uh, engineering calculus or something like that. It's it's dramatically Mm -hmm. more difficult, dramatically more is asked of the quarterback than what was asked in the previous offense. And I think Pierre can handle that, but it's not going to be – an absolutely smooth, seamless transition. And I think so does on Dana's end as well. I mean, you can practice all you want. It really takes a live game rep sometimes to figure out what works. And yeah. against Oklahoma at times, you could tell in the first half he wasn't entirely sure what worked out there. And it got, it got better in the second half. A, a decent amount of that, I think, it was Oklahoma being up by a decent amount. But I, I think he started to figure out what worked with him, using the quarterback running game a little bit more. And I'm asking D'Erik to be smarter about how he chooses to take contact, although, ironically, his season-ending injury last year, the second-to-last regular season game against Tulane, came on a completely non-contact handoff or a touchdown play. So yeah. it wasn't as if Eric was wildly uh, unintelligent with how he ran last year, just a freaking thing that happened. And Dana's talked a lot in the off-season about, you know, D'Erik realizing that he's the best player on this team and so he can't, you know, expose themselves to more contact than he needs to, but we kind of saw against Oklahoma when Houston was actually running something I think that's going to look a little bit more like our offense in purview, that it, it, work, it works better when D'Erik is running the ball. D'Erik is a good passer. D'Erik's not, I think, a run-first guy, but the offense looks more natural when D'Erik mm-hmm. actually gets a chance to use his legs.
0: Everybody knows, uh, of course, Derek King. I mean, that's, that is that is the name I had to bring up because the guy's, he's otherworldly, at least, you know, stats-wise, and obviously, I um, mean, yeah. on film, he looks that way as well. But give me another name, Sam, of someone on the Houston offense who Kook fans are going to want to know uh, about in advance of Friday's game because, you know, I always say, you know, it's so easy for all these other great players, um, you know, on an offense to kind of get lost behind this otherworldly beater quarterback or running back or whomever, but is there another person on that offense that you think uh, Cook fans should know prior to that game on Friday?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Marquez Stevenson, who was part of that really good uh, Tom Herman recruiting class that featured most famously Ed Oliver. Marquez had a lot of good offers out of high school and got really snaked in his first two years on campus. Um, missed 2016, I think, mostly with a broken collarbone mm-hmm. and a preseason injury, and then missed all of 2017 with a torn ACL, and then finally had a full season of being healthy last year and was, I think, arguably the most dynamic receiver in the American Athletic Conference. I always tell a story, me and my co-host drove up to the uh, remote plains of Texas Tech to watch Houston uh, give up somewhere just south of 1,000 passing yards. But in that same awful game, Marquez Stevenson, I think, burned Tech's cornerbacks for three or four touchdowns, had multiple Tech fans looking at being like, who is this guy? Yeah. He's an extremely fast player, very intelligent uh, guy that the Cougs has historically, I, I've seen Dana a couple times this year, used him in a running game kind of as an all-purpose guy, very shifty, but also a guy who's not afraid of contact. I think the most dynamic player on this offense besides DRK, and there's some competition for that. There are some areas where I'm not thrilled about the talent we have coming in, but receiver is, is quite talented. Receiver is the mm-hmm. one place where the last couple stats. Left the cupboard relatively full, and I would say Marquez is the best of the best there. I think I I expect if we open up the offense and if the Wazoo defense doesn't eat their Wheaties, that we'll, you know, regardless of the game's outcome, we'll see (laughs) one or two long touchdowns from Marquez. But uh, I think as we all know, one or two touchdowns uh, probably isn't going to do much in
0: this game with uh with both of these teams uh no I don't think it will do very much in fact whatsoever um let's talk now about the Houston defense and I realize that may not be as happy a topic as talking about the uh Houston offense however uh we do need to talk about it it is the other side of the football and it's the side of the football that my favorite side of the football will be going against and can I say side of the football more maybe I can um, but, Sam, what is the biggest bugaboo for Houston's defense? Because I know they really struggled last year and probably not expecting too much of a increase in terms of quality this year, or are you guys uh, down in Houston? I would say the last part. Like, I,
1: I w- wasn't going to expect a radical increase in quality just because there's only so much coaching can do. And I think the previous two staffs, with Ed Oliver being... One notable outlier. He was a great player, a generational talent, as good as advertised. His mm-hmm. entire three years here did. did uh, is
0: hard cursing good on your podcast? Can I? Can I do that? Uh, not hard cursing. Soft cursing would probably yeah. be acceptable. He did. He did a. He did a, he did a freaking terrible uh, job. There we um, go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did a terrible job uh, evaluating defensive talent.
1: Uh, just. I think we, we were a terrible pass defense last year and somehow managed to graduate our top four quarterbacks. The run defense uh, was one of the worst I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of bad use of defenses in my time as a Cougar fan here. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was horrendous. When Ed Oliver wasn't in there, um, U of H was likely to get up 300, 400 rushing yards, and I think did a few times last year. And I, I don't expect that to be exactly the same this year. I think. Uh, the bane of Cougar fans' existence in the last couple of years, uh, previous defensive coordinator Mark D'Onofrio is no longer here. I think uh, Dana made a good coordinator hire in Joe Coffin uh, previously at Arkansas State, and kind of the profile of someone I wanted here. I wanted someone who had success with aggressive defenses and was kind of a guy who did more with less. Yeah, the Arkansas State program is not known for being very uh, resource-rich, but Coffin consistently put good defenses on the field that mm-hmm. uh, were very aggressive. So yeah. it, it was it was good hire on paper. Um, the year one results really aren't going to, I think, show much of what the staff wants to do long term. I think they, they're they going to be very young in the back end. The, the smart aleck answer to your question of what concerns uh, Cougar fans about the defense, it would be all of it. But if I had to <laughs> isolate to one unit, I would say – the lack of experience in the defensive secondary uh, mm-hmm. is a little concerning. The staff did bring in some interesting transfers, but I mean, kind of you know, if you're getting if you're getting a transfer, it's kind of you. You might get a guy who's really great. You might get a guy who washes out without ever putting on right. a jersey. Yeah. So the, the staff had to the staff had to gamble to basically put together a two deep. That's how bad of a job the previous staff did. It even just. Getting warm scholarship bodies in mm-hmm. the secondary, and, and there's some interesting guys back there. Grant Stewart, this uh, guy who looks, I, I think, more like Troy Palomalu than any pl- any collegiate player I've seen uh, this side of Troy Palomalu. You guys will have no problem uh, figuring out who he is very quickly when he steps on huh. the field Friday. Yeah the and the the
0: uh, the, is- the, the uh, head and shoulders uh, spokesperson, I yeah. assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: yeah, the uh, the uh, noted TV spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just has, has the long hair that makes it look like he's already doing a bunch of stuff, but it has actually been quite good and quite exciting. And a couple of the JUCO guys that the staff have brought in have been pretty interesting. Uh, Javarius Owens and Damarian Williams both played in the Jayhawk League, which I think, as we know, is ultra-competitive, and they were both first-team All-Americans last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, JUCO guys like transfers. It's sort of a mixed bag, but if you know, a guy's a first-team All-American at that level— you know more than one to take a shot at them, and DeBerry Williams did a very good job against Oklahoma, graded out improbably extremely well in a game where the Cougars uh, gave up just more yards than even comfortable thinking about. I think he was targeted six times and gave up one completion. So that mm-hmm. was that was his first big test. He did quite well on it. I don't really get. I don't really take anything out of playing Prairie View. That's not really a notable opponent for me there, but I don't think they cover themselves in shame there. But I mean. Yeah. Washington State to be a whole different ball game so not only is this an inexperienced unit but it's going to be going against a team that just is designed almost to just find the Cougars weakness and just poke at it with a fork until we curl up in a field position and I think that's what I'm most worried about and I think mm-hmm. generally that was what the Cougar fan base is most worried about in terms of a defensive weakness from this Friday's game
0: well that takes away my question about the secondary because we always ask about that on this show because that is the strength of the Cougar attack but you answered it so well We'll just move on to the last one—a prediction uh, for this Friday's game. I think the game opened up between about six and a half to seven and a half point in favor of points in favor of the Washington State Cougars. And I'm going to keep mixing up the mascots and everything else for the entire dang week. Uh, these teams play each other, and I'm not going to know <laughs> if I'm not paying attention to the TV who's doing what. If I just hear Cougars, um, Sam, tell me what, how you think this game is going to go on Friday. I think for me, these are you know it's too, you know it's obviously the best team Washington State's going to have seen this year. It's not the best team Houston's seen this year, but maybe the one most like them uh, in terms of talent level on the football teams uh, so far this season. So how do you see this Friday's game going?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's really interesting because um, the Oklahoma game wasn't really you know a great test because that's just a team that's just so far away, more talented than Houston, more talented than probably seventy-five to eighty-five percent of college football. You know, I think I saw the line it was eight points this morning. I just, at this point, I, I don't know if I can really confidently predict Houston to stop Washington State enough to win this game. Mm-hmm. But I think the, I, I think Houston's offense won't look like the offense that scored three points in the second half against Prairie View in, a, I right. think, a, a game where the Houston staff was trying to show as little as possible. If I had to give a number two, I would say um, – the uh, Cougars of Eastern Washington uh, there in Pullman are going to win 45-35. to I'm bad with specific score predictions, but I, I think right now it's going to be somewhere between 7-10 to 10 points yeah. for the visitors, but I think, I think it will be a close game. I think it will be a game where that score line is at least somewhat indicative of the back-and-forth play between the two teams.
0: The Cougars of Eastern Washington look forward to visiting the Cougars of Southeastern Texas. I'm glad we're both in a relatively same uh, section of the state in terms of being East. <laughs> Sam yeah. Raz of the Scott and Ullman podcast. Thank you, sir, for your expertise. We appreciate it. Absolutely.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Back here on the Kook Center Hour, thanks again to Sam for joining us for 20 very good minutes on those Kooks from Southeastern Texas. I want to get to something that we haven't had a chance to yet because it was said after our last show was done. And, of course, we were enjoying Central Oregon last week. Um, Larry Scott. Let's just have a brief chat about him. I think we all know how we feel about him at this point. But something that caught a lot of people's eye or right before the opening weekend of college football. Um, it, it 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 shocks me that this man who must know that fan bases are not big fans of him. That that by and large, the people who enjoy rooting for teams in this conference do not like him unless he is so insulated in San Francisco where the Pac-12 is headquartered that he is just not paying attention to keeping all the noise out, keeping it all out. I know that maybe not as much heat has been put on his chair By the CEOs of the conference and the athletic directors as there could be. And that could be keeping more out. But what leads you to say something that lacks so much awareness? In a time where everybody knows that every other Power 5 conference is getting more money out of their television contracts. Thereby helping their universities pay for you know, facility expansions, coach salaries, uh, scholarships, they're helping pay for scholarships. Why would you say something like this? Quote, we don't hire the coaches. We don't recruit the athletes. We don't coach them. We don't take credit for the wins, but sometimes we get blamed for the losses. Okay. Here's the deal. At the micro level, no. You do not do that. Larry Scott, the Pac-12 conference, does not hire the coaches. They do not recruit the athletes. They do not coach them. They don't take credit for wins. And they do get blamed for losses. On the macro, though. (laughs) uh, Your performance as the Pac-12 commissioner does have something to do with those things. The lack of money flowing into the conference from TV deals is a direct result and and can result in this conference not being as good and not being as competitive with the Big Ten, with the ACC, with the SEC, with the Big 12. How do you not take any of the blame here? How do you not take... Any of the responsibility for, you know, yes, we could do things better to increase the profile of this conference, to increase the coaches they can attract, to increase the amount of money we could get from our television partners, etc. I realize that perhaps that is not a thing you can say in public, but another thing you can also not say in public is we don't hire the coaches, we don't recruit the athletes, we don't coach them, we don't take credit for wins. Sometimes we get blamed for losses. There is no reason to say that. There is no reason to say that. It, it kills me. Absolutely kills me. That, that you, (laughs) you don't shoulder some of the blame there. That you don't shoulder a little bit of the blame. that it's it's insane in John Canzano's article in the Oregonian that covers this, that you can't look at the fact that the SEC is going to give 70 million more dollars to each of their schools over the next five years than the Pac-12 members will get. Doing the incredibly quick math in my head, that's about 11.5 million dollars more per year for SEC schools Then the pac-12 will get now i know that the pac-12 is not the brand that the sec is and that they would probably not be able to get make up that gap but let's say it's half let's say it's five and a half million dollars per year do you think wazoo would love that money to help pay off the cougar football project and the football operations building To close a budget gap of seven and a half million dollars a year in athletics? Do you not think they would love that money to pay for the Back to Omaha project at the baseball facility? To pay for basketball facility upgrades for Kyle Smith and Cammie Etheridge? For volleyball upgrades for Jen Greeny, For any rowing upgrades Jane Larivier may want? Do you not think they would love to have that money? Money was left on the table during that media rights negotiation. And the further away you get from it, the worse it looks. The worse that TV rights deal looks. And at the time, we were all so excited. $3 billion over 12 years. My God, we can never imagine that kind of money under Tom Hansen. Larry Scott was a visionary. Bringing all this money into the Pac-12. But as was the case for Bill Moose with plenty of, with his Nike contract at Washington State, you signed it too early. And for too great a length of time. The deal runs through 2023. 2023. That is way too long. And perhaps the only reason your TV partners would sign a contract as large at the time was the length of it, that they were locked in for that long. But you cannot ignore the fact that monetary benefits, larger amounts of money going to SEC member institutions, Big Ten member institutions, etc. Helps them produce better results on the football field, on the baseball diamond, on the basketball court. It's not just Football that has been struggling and has not put a team in the playoffs since Washington was in it. What was that, 2016? Basketball sucks. Washington won a very down conference a couple of years ago. Or they won it hour. I don't, I don't even know. I wasn't even really paying attention because the conference is so bad at basketball right now. Horrible at it. You have no good brand in football because USC's in the toilet, although they may not be after that win over Stanford. Washington loses to Cal after a a two-and-a-half-hour lightning delay. And in basketball, you have UW, who has never really been a basketball brand. Cool. UCLA's terrible. Sean Miller's too busy sweating through 92 shirts to coach a good basketball team in Arizona. No one's interested in Utah basketball. Who is going to look at the Pac-12 and go, Ooh, Utah, I should watch that. Nothing is working for this conference right now. And when nothing's working at a company, you don't look at everybody else and say the problem must be with them. Leadership starts at the top. It's a trope, it's a cliche, but it's true. Larry Scott is not a leader of this conference. The quality of the football has gone down precipitously in the last few years in basketball. That is partially his responsibility. I know he doesn't hire 12 football and basketball coaches. But there are things he can do to help attract better candidates. And he is not doing them. That is a failure of leadership. But you're right, Larry. You don't hire the coaches. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. Coming up next. underhead of the week time. Uh, it, it, it stinks to be the backup in a lot of cases because, you know, or the understudy because you think you got all the blocking down, you know, like in, t- in terms of a play or even football, you know, you got all the blocking down, you got all the lines memorized, kind of the same concept. Uh. But during the blowout of the Steelers by the Patriots on Sunday to open the NFL season, uh, Marquise Pouncey uh was not in the game anymore so the Steelers put in a backup center uh I will not tell you his name because he does not need to be humiliated and also frankly I didn't want to look it up (laughs) but uh you kind of need to know your lines don't you this from nbc
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? you put a new center in the game Uh you need to snap it <laughs> wait, wait. i thought you said on one false start offense all alignment except for the center it's a five-yard penalty replay second down
0: yeah that's kind of really not good is it <laughs> all <laughs> except the center you can make the argument that he's the one who false started i mean he could you know he didn't snap the ball when he's supposed to so it was a false ah uh, no i guess it doesn't work still i don't want i don't want the guy the four guys who did their job to get blamed and not the center that is very embarrassing though and especially on national TV in front of a big audience like that when I make a mistake it's usually just in front of like a few people at work right? or on this podcast so not 20 million people watching maybe one day we'll get there but uh not right now ask Michael anything time ask... Michael At Ryan Cali 18 Ryan Callahan, worst road trip in the Pac-12 in terms of a fan experience. You have to spend at least one night in the city. I should say Berkeley just because, I mean, God, we never win down there. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll go with Berkeley. (laughs) Uh, But if you're visiting Seattle, I can't imagine that goes better for you either. Uh. Yeah, no, I'll stick with Berkeley. I'll stick with Berkeley. Yeah, I mean, it's... San Francisco itself is good, but I... I, Berkeley's a fun little town, but I don't know if it's like for football, whether you'd like it or not. CQ8606, Sean, do you consider a plain piece of chocolate to be candy? If not, what constitutes candy versus no candy? I don't think plain chocolate is candy. I think it's just chocolate. Although, the question being whether you consider chocolate candy or not, and I don't... I think there needs to be like, at least one additional ingredient. There needs to be, I mean obviously chocolate has other things, like a Hershey bar has other things, but it is just a chocolate bar. Uh, so you know like a Snickers has like nougat and caramel and chocolate. I would consider that a candy bar. And candy like Warheads, I love Warheads, Sour Patch Kids is candy. Things that have really no intrinsic nutritional value whatsoever to them. That's a pretty decent starting point for candy. I realize that there are some intrinsic nutritional values, to Snickers and Paydays and things like that, but I mean, really, that, that's a candy bar. It's a candy bar. Maybe it's like pornography, like the Supreme Court said, you'll know it when you see it, right? You just know it when you see it. At Totes McStoes, Pumpkin Stose is playing on Friday the 13th, a good or bad thing for the Cougs, How much time will Mike Leach spend talking about the history of Friday the 13th during press conferences this week? He's already done uh, with his press conferences this week, but also it's a full moon on Friday. I don't mean to alarm anyone that believes in, like, superstition and things like that, but it's not a good thing for the double O Cougs either, as I've taken to calling them. At Brady 27 give me offense or give me death said previously you want more burrito related questions what are your must-have ingredients for a good burrito build an ideal burrito with for us Okay, so I like like sun-dried tomato type tortilla or maybe like a wheat uh, tortilla beef Preferably carne asada, but I will go ground beef as well fish. Okay as well rice black beans pico de gallo I want a little cilantro in there, I want some lime in there, I want some red onion in there, and I want some guacamole and sour cream in there. Maybe a little lettuce if I want some crunch, but that's what I would like. At Korzenicki17, Ian, I butchered your name there, I'm sorry. Would you rather have Dana Holgerson's hair or be bald for life, eyebrows included? You ever seen like a Photoshop of someone without eyebrows? You don't realize how much context they provide until they are gone. So, yeah, I'm gonna go with Dana Holgerson's hair there. De- definitely. At Chris McInturf, Chris McKinturf on Twitter. Is it appropriate to cancel my daughter's baseball practice? I'm the head coach... On Friday to watch the Cougs. Uh, DVR it. I mean, your, your daughter's gonna feel like, you know, like, Daddy, why'd you cancel baseball? Oh, so I can get drunk in the TV room and yell at the... And yell at the TV. At least that's how it would be for me. <laughs> I would say DVR it and you know, be sent them out. I only have so many precious memories you can have with your children, blah, blah, blah. But really, that's probably true. Too. At Coach Smith 99, Brandon Smith, Texas barbecue or Seattle seafood? Texas barbecue, not even close. And I love Seattle seafood. At double BS 13, is it tomorrow already? I guess that's my question. Yes, yes, it is. At the last Zoom, Max Corgi, is Dana Holgerson the coach most likely not to be sold a windowless van based on visual profiling? <laughs> God. I can't think of another one. Off the top. I think, do you mean like most likely to be sold or most likely not to be sold? So Most likely not to be sold one? Like not buy one? I mean, there are plenty of others that wouldn't buy one, but most likely to be sold one. I can't think of another one. No, that's way too accurate. Washington State Cougars fifty-six, Houston Cougars 38. It's a shootout bet the over. We will talk to you for UCLA week here on the Cook Center Hour.